You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Hey there, Life Church. How you guys doing? It's good to see you. I know what you're thinking. You're like, it's not enough that you drive a yellow car. Now you're wearing yellow shirts. And uh, you know what? Pastor Micah said something a couple weeks ago that it's not true, and I am here to set the record straight. He said, he said that I changed the colors of the church to black and gold when I became the lead pastor. And that's not true. It was black and gold before I came. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. When I saw black and gold, I'm like, God, this church is made for me. This is it. And, and so whenever somebody tried to change it, I said, you will not. That, this is divinely inspired, okay? Leave it alone. So anyway, Pastor Mikey is away today. He is actually filling in at Lucas Miles. How many have ever read or heard of uh, Pastor Lucas Miles up in northern Indiana? He's uh, the guy who wrote the book, The The Christian Left, and he's got a new book out called um, Woke Jesus. He's away on vacation, so he asked Pastor Mike uh, to come up and do some pulpit supply for him. And uh, so you get me today, and I am excited to speak this message to you because it is a message I first preached when I was 15 years old. And it dawned on me that I have now been preaching for over 30 years. And that, that is shocking to me. I'm going to preach it differently today than I preached it then because today is the beginning of 21 Days of Prayer, which is a big deal here at our church. We believe that God has natural seasons that happen in the church where there's a, there's a season of harvest coming. And so we put 21 days of prayer two times a year in January when we start our year and in August because how many know the enemy is coming out on the field of battle to tell, uh, to tell Christians that they cannot have territory that used to belong to them? But Christians are coming back out onto the field of battle to say, no, we're going to take that from you, devil, you know? So we're saying as a church, it is incredibly, incredibly important to, to get in, onto the field to pray. Praying is one of the most important things we do as Christians, and there's probably no higher thing that we as pastors can call people to do than to pray. Pray. Prayer changes everything. Prayer is not designed to change God's heart. It's designed to change our hearts. Prayer moves us. And we're going to be talking about prayer today. And this is going to be a different message because it is going to be a message about killing. And you're like, what? Yeah, because I'm going to equate warfare. How many have ever heard prayer is called spiritual warfare? So we're going to talk about warfare, we're going to talk about warriors, and, we're, and, and then we're going to look at, okay, how does this equate over into the spiritual? How, do, how is it that, that we should have a warrior prayer spirit here at Life Church? So that's where we're going. Before we get there, I want to say this. If you're looking for a way to move your life forward, you're like, I am, I am sick of being stuck. I want to grow. 
I want to see things differently than how I've seen it. I have been, I have, I, I've been in a pit. I have been in a, a, just a, a, a rut. I want out of that. Today is also the first day you can sign up for freedom groups. And we have freedom group table that's out here in the lobby. It, this is not just for believers who have just come to Christ. This is for those of you who have walked with the Lord for a long time. Because God wants to radically take you deeper in your walk with God. And, and you, will, you want to fight for your spot in one of those freedom groups. So sign up for that today. We are going to actually be looking at a portion of Scripture that is in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. And you're like, that's not where we are in the text. You're right. I'm jumping far ahead. You'll cover this again probably sometime later. But this is where we are as a people today as we inspire our hearts towards being the kind of prayer culture here at Life Church that we want to have. In fact, I call this message today the culture of the mighty men of the king. The culture of the mighty men of the king. And I'm, I don't know if... Um, how many of you have served in our armed forces? If you have served in the military, just raise your hand. Hey, let's just give it up for these people, right? We're grateful. We like to say that Life Church is a place where warriors can come. This is a, we're a warrior church. And we thank you for what you've done. We're going to actually talk about some of the baddest, I, I'm not allowed to say that other word, some of the baddest men that Scripture records when it comes to warfare. And I'm, I'll talk about the physical, because then I want you to understand the spiritual. If you go back in history and study the guys who have the greatest kill counts in, uh, of all soldiers, while records were being kept, that we have the records, you get into some amazing men. How many have ever heard of the sniper named Chris Kyle? Right? You've heard of him. There's a movie about him. Um, he was reported to have shot 160 men. That's a lot. When you go and you look, there was actually a female sniper alone. Uh, she, was a, she was a Russian sniper. She killed 93 men during World War II with her sniper rifle. There was a battalion of women. I'm sorry, I shouldn't call them a battalion. There were 12. 12 Russian ladies that during World War II accounted for 795 sniper kills. Women. There was a man who was called the Finnish. He was Finnish. He was the white death is what the, the, the Axis powers called him. He killed 705 men alone with his sniper rifle. He would lay out in a field. And he would put snow in his mouth so there was no breath. And he never used a scope because a scope had the possibility of giving a glare where he could be found. Every kill that he made was with open sights. And then there is this guy, and, and his name, uh, he, he's a sergeant, Sergeant Dillard Johnson, that during the Iraq War, he is credited with killing 2,734 men on his own. When you talk about these guys, and you're like, holy cow, well, just so you know, a, a soldier is not the same as a murderer. A murderer kills with malice in their heart. A soldier kills under the direction of his government 
He, it's, it's not the same. He doesn't do it with hatred in his heart, right? So just so you know that. And as we talk about these warriors today, I just want you to know, these are men who were called to do something, men or women called to do something, and they did what they were called to do to the sacrifice of their own lives. And they present to us a culture, I want you to see, of how they lived in, on their own. These guys are recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 23, 8 through 17, and they are called David's mighty men of valor. Now, these are the names, starting in verse 8, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had, and I'm not going to try and pronounce this entire thing, but the way that you would say his, his first name is Yesab. And he was the chief of the captains. He was called Adino because of 800 slain by him at one time. 800 slain by him. In another portion of scripture, it tells us what he killed them with. He killed them with a spear. 800 men. Now, you've heard of Samson, right? Samson is the guy who killed more people in the Bible in a single battle than anyone else. He picked up a donkey's jawbone and busted a few heads, Carmen said, right? And, and he killed a thousand men on his own. But he had supernatural strength. He had a supernatural Nazarite covenant. He was, he was different. I want you to see this guy because he is, you're, you're talking about warriors draw warriors. Do you know how that works? When David kills Goliath, how many know that a lot of people go, I want to be on his team? They're like, sign me up. If that, guy can, if that kid can kill a nine and a half foot giant with one shot, that's my captain. And so I want you to see that in, in the whole of the army of Israel at this time, the greatest warrior of all is David. He, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David is number one, tier one. Tier two was a guy whose name was Joab. He was the commander of the army. He was a bad, 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 bad man. Underneath of him are called the three captains, and this man, Yasab, was the foremost of the 37 mighty men of valor. He's the highest captain. And he is, his name means... He who dwells, he who stays, he who sits. Yasab. Now, I want you to take it over into prayer as many times as you can. As I give you a point, take it to the what do we do in prayer. How many know that those who stay, those who dwell, and those who sit in the presence of God, and they are warring for his people? Let me tell you something. They are the mighty men. They are the ones who are saying, I won't be driven off of what I've come to pray about. I won't be pushed around. I dwell here. I won't be moved. He gets a nickname, though. His nickname is Adino, which comes from the word where you get Eden. His name means the voluptuous. Now, you think about that term, and you're like, that's something we usually call women. We don't call men voluptuous. It means curvy. And it comes from the word where you also get the word Eden. And Eden draws with it this idea of luxurious eating. What they're trying to say, he got the nickname from his guys because you're the fat man who devours 800 men with his spear. 
you are voluptuous, you curvy, curvy man. <laughs> this man is, he devours the enemy like, like hors d'oeuvres. You know, you take the little toothpick. Nope, he spears them, he eats them. He is a man-eater. And he kills like a machine. When he is by himself, he is Rambo. This isn't even putting him in an army. This is by himself. And we are not told that he's filled with the Holy Spirit in the same manner that Samson was. This guy's a killing machine. Now, all those people I told you about, all those great warriors, they were killing people with bullets from a distance. This guy's killing people with a spear in their face. After him comes a guy named Eliezer. He's, now, this guy's got to be tough because his dad's name is Dodo, right? You just got to get strong or get dead. One of the three mighty men of David, and here's his story, he defied, everybody say the word defied. He defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle, and the men of Israel fled and withdrew. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was so weary that it clung to the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory on that day, and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. Eliezer. His name means God has helped me. So just like how Indian names, like he who runs with the stream, right? Every time they said your name, they were saying an identity over you. Every time they said your name. So this guy, his whole life, every time he's called by his mother, the Lord has helped me. He walks in that kind of identity. And I want to tell you that knowing that God has helped you is the root of humility. A person who is humble is a person who knows how much they need God. Being humble is one of the greatest things that we could ever be because we know that victory is dependent upon the Lord. We don't take credit for our own victory. We give credit away to the Lord. This man's name is God has helped me. And humble men know how much they need God. And I have never met a humble person who doesn't pray. Humble men stand with their king alone. Now get the story. Here is David. He's, here's, here's all the Philistines coming. And here's the champion of Israel, the greatest warrior they have. And he walks out towards the enemy while all the other Israelites run in the opposite direction. And here's Eliezer who looks at everybody leaving and looks at his king standing alone with an army in front of him. And Eliezer strolls up and he stands beside his king and says, let them come. As they come, these two men probably look at each other and go, let's get busy. And they fight. You've heard of the term, the epic kind of stories where two men fight back to back. That's what these guys do. True story. And with every time they lift their swords and every stroke, they're wiping out the enemy. Two men versus an army. One guy staying there because his king is there. Humble men 
stand where their king stands. It amazes me so many times when Christians try to come up with a different policy than their king. How can you not stand where your king stands? If this is the policy of the king, stand and fight. Here, this is unmovable. We do this. How is it that so many Christians come and go, well, well Jesus really doesn't mean that. And they try to take things out of the word that God says, no, that's the word. That's where I'm at. Humble people don't say, well, I kind of think we need to change that. No, they stand where their king stands. Humble prayer warriors defy. I had you say the word defy, right? Say it again, defy. Say it like you mean it. Defy. Okay, defy means to disapprove of the advancement of the enemy. When you stand up and you go, guess what, enemy? I defy you in the name of the armies of the living God. You don't get to come this way. It's like Gandalf standing on that stone bridge in Lord of the Rings going, you shall not pass. Right? It is to defy the enemy. Humble prayer warriors stand with their king. They defy the enemy. And they will not let go of the sword. It means this, a, a person who knows how to pray will never lay down the word of God. They, what is the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God? They fight with it until their hand cleaves to it, and if you wanted to, you couldn't pry it out of their cold, dead fingers. They are going to hold on to it. Strike with it, strike with it. I get people who tell me when I get into debates with certain people, they'll go, why, don't you, why do you keep quoting the word? I don't even believe in the word. I said, that's okay. That's the way Jesus fought. He said, it is written. If you don't like me quoting it, I'm going to quote it all the more. Just to tick you off. Right? I, I will not let go of God's word. The enemy wants to undermine our our confidence in the Word of God. They will tell us, hey, that doesn't mean what you think it means. Oh, you quote it because the Holy Spirit gave it to you. As he brings it up into your Word, you say the Word of God. When you come and learn how to pray, we teach you, pray the Word of God. We've heard what everybody else has to say about it. We're not Christians because we're following after ourselves. We're following after what the Word of God made flesh, said. He dwelled among us. We're going to tell you what he says. And when you do, you are smashing the enemy. You're smashing him. You can't let go of the Word of God. And there are some people, they will come for a party celebrating what the church has done. They will come back to, to strip the dead, but never, ever think the king doesn't know who was with him alone on the field. I've often thought about, what, is, what should we call like our, our prayer time here at Life Church? And we've talked about it being watch, um, the watchtower prayer, watchman prayer, because we're supposed to be watchmen on the wall, and we're supposed to call out what we see and stand against it and call alarm. We talked about that, but I got maybe a better name. I think we ought to call it the field. Because I want to know who's willing to join us on the field of battle. Because prayer is confrontation with the enemy. This is where the battle takes place. On our knees. We sang it this morning. When I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted up. Eliezer, that kind of guy. And never, ever doubt 
David knew exactly who was with him on the field. Then after him was a man named Shammah. And he, when the Philistines were gathered into a troop, where he walked down into a plot of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. So many that were running in the wrong direction, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot, and he defended it, and he struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Here's this guy's name, Shammah. He stands to defend what belongs to the Lord. Some people go, it's a field of beans. How many have ever heard that kind of, there's, there's a little bit of a, some kind of an expression, that doesn't matter where the beans. Well, not to Shama. Shama says, these beans belong to my king. This is my beans. And you can't have them. This is my field. I don't care whether it's beans or not. You come on my field, you're going to die. And he stands by himself. Now, before we had David standing with Eliezer back to back, there were two. One shall chase a thousand, two shall put ten thousand to flight. And a lot of people go, I don't want to go and pray on my own. Why? You could still take out a thousand. Don't, don't, don't make something small that God has said is great. Recognize that God has called you to your bean patch. That's your office. That's your workplace. That's your family. That is, that is anything that belongs to you where God puts you there. He puts you there and he told you to stand. And the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand, stand. This guy stands. And I love what his name means. His name means desolation. What a great name. Hey, I'm Shama. I've come to desolate my enemies. Dude, he needs a t-shirt. Those who stand with the king will desolate your, their enemy. Now, if they can do this on their own, these are three different stories of what these guys did in individual combat Imagine what you'd do if you put those three guys in the same place. And we get a story. I want you, showed you the culture alone. Now see the culture together. See what, they're do, what they do when you, uniting their hearts together. The three of the 30 chief men, verse 13, they came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam while the troop of the Philistines was encamping in the valley of Rephaim. This tells us it was a harvest time. This is actually, we just covered this portion of scripture not too many weeks ago. Do you remember when David has the Philistines come up against him? And, and, uh, and he says, he goes from Jerusalem, he goes to the stronghold of Adullam, these caves that he had dwelled in for a long, long time. It was here that he had hidden from Saul when he was running for his life. It's here that he has been in there with his 600 guys. He has spent a lot of time. He knows this place. He knows how to attack out of these caves. And he's there, and he's praying to God. And he says, God, do I go up against the Philistines? They're all encamped in the Valley of, of Ghosts or the Valley of the Giants. Do I go there? And the Lord says, yes, go up. I'll go with you. So he goes out and he defeats his enemy. Then he comes back. The enemy is not totally, totally decimated. The enemy comes back even more. 
And now they're standing once again in that same place. He prays another prayer. He says, God, do I go up? And he says, yes, go up, but go behind them this time. And when you hear the sound in the marching in the tops of the trees, you're going to know that I went out to battle in front of you. This is that time. This story falls there. We didn't cover it, but I want, I'm glad that it came up so we could go back and I could show you what happens here. As this hot period of time, they're in the waiting time, and David, David is thirsty, and he's kind of locked down, figuring out what he's going to do, but he's in a time of prayer. These are the places where he's been depressed in these caves before. He knows what anxiety's like. He writes the Psalms. Read the Psalms. That's a depressed man who's writing out his prayers. That is a man who's dealing and trying to, God, God, where do I go with what's going on in my life right now? He's thirsty, he's inquiring of the Lord, and he's in a familiar place. And it says that David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was there in Bethlehem. Where's David from? Bethlehem. His hometown has been taken over by Philistines. That's a dark day in your heart, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing when they're warring half the world away, but when you're in my own hometown, whoa. It's been overrun by the enemy, and David had a craving, verse 15, a craving. Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by its gate. Now, have you guys ever just had a craving? Man, I need some five guys. Oh, man, you know what sounds good right now? An ice-cold Coke, right? Something like that, where you have this craving, and you kind of speak it out flippantly. That's what he does. Oh, if I could have a drink from the water of my own hometown in Bethlehem. That's what he's saying. He, He voices a desire for water that is an impossible request. And how many know that the water from your own hometown, it just has that special flavor to you, right? And that's what it is to him. It's the best tasting stuff. Man, if I had that. And just so you know, the well wasn't by the gate at this time. It was inside the gate of where the Philistines had taken. They have guards all over the place. They have taken control of this area. And there is, there is peril in any kind of venture. He's not actually telling somebody, go get me water. I thirst. Go get me water from this. I know it might cost you. He's not doing that. He wouldn't do that. He's not that kind of guy. But it was a desire of his heart, craving. Wouldn't it be nice? Kind of type request. How many have ever said those words? Wouldn't it be nice? Well, these three men hear that wouldn't it be nice request. I want you to think about that. If you voiced a request, are there people in your life that will go, I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to go get that done. I mean, this is like a suicide mission. Everybody gets this, right? This would be a suicide mission. Watch what the three do. Verse 16, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well 
at Bethlehem, which is by the gate, and they took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. So here he comes back. The three guys, they walk back. They're prob- they could be covered in blood. Who knows? But they've got this water bottle. And, and, and they, they're like, hey, David, here. And he's like, what is this? Well, you, you said you were thirsty. You, you wanted some water from Bethlehem. Drink up. Have you ever had somebody give you something that you knew was a costly gift to them? And it kind of took your breath away. My wife threw me a party on my 40th birthday. And um, I came home. There's all these people everywhere. It was a surprise party. And some people, you can go to like a birthday party that's like 10 minutes away. It wasn't that big of a gift. But I saw faces of people that had driven seven and eight hours to come to my birthday party. And my heart kind of came out of my chest and got stuck in my throat because I just knew that it cost them a lot to do that. Just to tell me that they loved me. Can you imagine? Hey, David, drink up. And then you're like, he knows what this would have cost. That's why he can't drink it. He says, he pours it out to the Lord. He's not worthy to drink their blood. Look at verse 17. It says, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who, have, who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. This is too high of a gift for me to take, but I know who can take it. And he gives it to God. You know, nobody told them they had to do this. They were compelled by what is the greatest form of leadership, The greatest form of leadership is not fear, it's love. There are certain things that we will do for love that's just crazy. They loved him like this. If my king desires something, I desire it. Do you have a prayer life like that? That you know that in this world, God has certain desires, and you're like, if that's your desire, it's my delight to make it a reality. So they gave it to him, and he poured it out a drink offering. Now, I don't know that this next part happened, but the Bible does allow us to to have some conjecture to it, but I just wonder if this could have possibly taken place. I told you what these guys did on their own, and I told you about a mighty thing they did together, but I wonder if they don't walk up to the town of Bethlehem, three guys side by side, And they come to the gate of Bethlehem. Philistines all over the place. And I wonder if the first, Yassab, doesn't speak up. And he says, hey, Philistines, I am Yassab, but they call me the voluptuous. I killed 800 of you by myself with my spear. What do you know? What do I have in my hand today? (laughs) 
You see, my king wants some water from that well inside your gate, and I mean to give it to him. Kind of puts his spear down, bumps his arm over into Eliezer, pop that. And Eliezer, he says, hey, my name is God has helped me. My king and I, we killed you guys until I couldn't even let go of my sword. <gasps> what do you know? I have my sword today. Just the two of us took you all out. My king wants some water. What do you got? And now, Shama, he says, my name means desolation. I'm the reaper. My king wants water today. Open the gate. Now, I could just imagine some Philistines in there going, open the gate, open the gate, open the gate. Open the gate. Give them the water. Because if one can chase a 1,000 and two can put 10,000 to flight, what happens when you add the third? Their reputation as the three baddest men around. The king wants water, guys. Let's get out of the way. See, I think that's what happens when we come together to unite our hearts to pray. When the mighty men come together. This is Jeff Mahoney over here. He's one of my mighty men. I know that there are things that I pray for, and I have just voiced them to Jeff. And Jeff gets all the people at this campus praying over that. Jeff's one of my mighty men. We want to go plant a campus. Well, then let's pray for that. We're going to need leaders. Okay, then let's pray for that. We're going to need to get that, that, that land or that property. Okay, let's pray for that. When you, and, and I just want to ask you, in your life, do you have people, let's say just three people in your life who pray for you? Every day. Do you, I know where my mom's at every, every morning at 5.30. She's on her couch, and she's lifting up me, and she's lifting up my wife, and she's lifting up my children. Every day with my dad. Every Saturday, I know that there are people all over Life Church praying for me. I probably have way more than three. Do you have at least three that pray for you? And then let me ask you this question. And this is what you have to do. If you want to have three people that pray for you, you've got to tell them things. You've got to let them have some information on the inside of your life. Hey, I got this coming up. I'm traveling here. I've got this. I got this appointment. Give them information because if you don't give them information, they won't know what to pray and you get cheap prayers. Let them know. Speak to them your heart. But then let me ask you, are you one of somebody's three. Do you pray for people every single day? Is prayer a habit in your life? Can you be counted on to be on the field on the day somebody needs you to be there? There's a great clip from one of my favorite movies. I'm going to show it to you now because I love this kind of spirit in prayer. Can you guys show that? Yeah. 
My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's what the enemy does. That's what he does, right? You come, you say, this is who I am. This is why I've come. This is who God says that I am. And you expect that when you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. Amen? So, do you have a life group that prays for you? Are you involved? Are you, could somebody say, you're one of my mighty men of God? I want to give you this final thing. I'll close with this. Some of you don't know how to pray. And that's okay. Because everybody at some point starts with not knowing how to pray. But you learn. When we invite you to 21 days of prayer and it's, it's like praying for an hour, you want me to do what? You, you want me to get up at 6.30 in the morning to pray? Jesus got up even earlier than that. And if a people who know their God shall do great exploits, then what do you want to do for God? And will, will, you, will you dedicate yourself? Will you be on the field of battle? And then how, how Pastor Nathan, how am I ever going to pray for an hour? Well, there's a great pastor. His name, is, um, his name is Chris Hodges. He pours into my life. I'm in a mentoring group with him. Just a tremendous man of God. He wrote a book called Pray First. And um, how many really, you want to take your prayer life to the next level? Just raise your hand if that's you. Elijah, you got this book? Read it. Read it. He does. I'm going to say it right now. If you didn't get a book today, don't worry. Go and on your app store and get Pray First. Download it. Everything that I'm going to tell you right now is in that, but, but way, way, way more. And you can learn to pray for an hour. And what you do is you use what's called a prayer model. And one of his favorite prayer models, and, and it's one I want to show you today, just very briefly, is called the Tabernacle Prayer Model. When the people wanted to go meet with the Lord, they would go to the tabernacle, which was the mobile tent um, of meeting that they would have where, where, where all the, the spiritual furniture was. And it's got these seven places you would go. I want to show this to you today. And then you can use this. You just pray through these different steps. So number one, when you would come into the tabernacle, this is what the tabernacle looked like. Come through those red doors. That was called the gates, right? How many have ever heard the song, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. That's thanksgiving. Never come before God asking for something before you thank him for what he's already done. So you're just going to start the first part of your prayer, and you're going to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank him for something new. Thank him for something he did yesterday that you haven't got to thank him for. Look for the good in your life and begin to pour out your affection on God because he's the one who did that for you. And just take some time to have a thankful heart. Second place you go is you would go by the brazen altar. Now, the brazen altar is where the sacrifice was, was, was slain, and then you would put its body to be burned. The smoke would go up, and that's what was called a pleasing aroma in the, in the nose of God. 
as, as the fat burned and the innards burned. And as that goes up, I want you to think of the brazen altar and you just think as a Christian, you think of the cross. Because the cross is where Jesus died. The cross is where the sacrifice happened. The cross is where our, our freedom was purchased. Everything you're going to pray, you're going to look through the perspective of the cross. What did the cross accomplish for you? If the, if, if the cross changed everything, then the things that matter to you today aren't as big as you think they are. The cross was the biggest deal of all. It was at the cross that we, we, we know the sacrifice died, we've been forgiven, and he healed us of all our diseases. Now, now just take the word disease. What is the word? It's dis-ease. How many have anxiety that you deal with about all the things coming up? Those things cause you dis-ease, but what did the cross do for you? He healed you of that. Your life was transformed. He satisfies you with every good thing. He's blessed you. Thank him for his blood. Then you're going to go to what's called the labor. The labor was a bowl that had mirrors on the bottom of it. And as you washed your hands, you would look down into it and it would show you an accurate reflection of yourself. You would see your face, you'd see your eyes, you'd see your ears, you'd see your nose, you'd see your mouth. And you would begin to offer every part of yourself to the Lord. Here's my hands, God. Use my hands today. You, I, I, I have many things in my life that might not be right. Things I see, things I say, things I hear, things I do, but I want to give you my life today. Then you're going to go past that. Every part's been given to God. Now you go into the tent, and in there you run into the candlestick. And the candlestick is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you, you have, every person in here has been given gifts by the Lord. And you get, go, God, here's my gifts. Give me even more gifts. Help me to be faithful in what you've given me and give me even more. Stir up. This is what we call stirring up the gifts inside of us. God, what do you want to do in me? I, I don't even know if I could do that, but if you say I could, I could. Stir up those gifts. Now you're going to pray as you go to the, ta uh, the table of showbread. And there's 12 loaves that would lay on there. And this, is, this represents God's promises in his word. We've heard all what the, what the world has to say, what the doctors have to say, what all the prognatologists have to say. Listen, let's dwell on what God has to say. Let's eat of his word. Jesus is the bread of life. Let's take in and say, what did you say over my life? I want to have communion with you, God. I want, I, but as I'm having communion with you, I know that means confrontation with the devil. After that, you go to the altar of incense. And this was the place where they would pray the names of God. How many know that God has like, lots of different identities, but they're all one together. He's your healer. He's your salvation. He is, he's your, uh, he's the glory and the lifter of your head. He's your hope. He's your strength. And you begin, as you tell God who he is, here's what happens to your prayers. Your prayers get more powerful and your faith begins to rise because you're not looking at you anymore. You're looking at God. And finally, you go to the Ark of the Covenant 
And this is where you make intercession. This is the place between those two angels was what was called the mercy seat. That's where the blood was poured out. And this is where all of our sins have been forgiven. But this is the place of intercession. And we pray for kings and we pray for presidents and we pray for governors. We pray for all the people in our life that matter to us. We lift up others. We intercede on their behalf. We, that, means, that word means to stand in between. And that's what you do there. Today, folks, we need a prayer culture alone. We need a prayer culture together. And we need to learn the methods of our warfare. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.